that when you saw this place, you saw your people, you wanted us to walk with you in, into a deeper expression of commune that was beyond what we had known as believers. It was all according to your scripture, and you did lead us there. And since that time, you've continued to teach us from your word various nuances of what that type of expression with you would mean and how it could serve you and what it was intended to do. And Lord, we've just prayed today in a prophetic release that that calling would be uh, awakened in new ways, perhaps brought back from the brink of despair and to come alive again. We thank you for that. But I know that there, there are some amazing things that you are showing us in your word even now that are a step, a step of faith beyond what we've known, using the things that you've shown us in the word. And I thank you, Father, that we will never become complacent in you. We will never just settle for the last point of 11, but well, we want to go forward into the new. And so today we look at a passage of Scripture, several passages of Scripture that have to do with the most important thing that ever happened on earth. And that was the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Now that was shown to be uh, the victory that it was because of the resurrection, because Jesus came back to life through the power of the Lord God, the Heavenly Father, and what he accomplished through his sacrifice, the, the, the bringing back into motion the structure of what the Father ordained from the foundation of the world, that's glorious. But the most important thing that ever happened in the culmination of Jesus' ministry on this earth was his sacrifice at the cross. And we thank him for that. Forevermore we'll be thanking him for that. But today we want to look at what the Bible tells us Jesus did with his spirit in the Gospels' accounts. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all said something distinctly different that Jesus did regarding his spirit at the cross. And we, so we want to look at this today and recognize what it means for us, what it means uh, in, in, in regard to what God has put us on this earth to achieve. You see, the reason the spirit within us is important as we've studied over the years, and particularly over these past two years, is that every one of us on earth, every human being, was given a deposit of the Spirit of God. It's through that that we have life and existence. But only through the acceptance of the blood of Jesus is that Spirit born again. And then, hopefully, we continue to seek the truths of God, those things in partnership with the Spirit that, are, um, that have been hidden. 
and we can then partner with the Lord to discover them and put them into operation. That's We're born again in spirit and in truth. And, and so the spirit within us is kind of like uh, the, the expression of God's heart for what each of us is supposed to accomplish while we're on this earth. That's really what the spirit within us is that can only be born again through the blood of Jesus. And we recognize as Pentecostals, as we've studied, and tell me if we've not studied this together, that when we pray in the spirit, our spirit prays, our mind is unfruitful. The Bible very clearly says that. So the gift of speaking in tongues and diversities of tongues is an expression of the Spirit of God within us where we cause our, our spirit to commune with God. It's, his, it's Him within us, and He is praying for the things that should be happening. He's praying for the things that he desires to have happen. And we are the beneficiaries because if we allow that to happen, we're partnering with God in intercession, but we can also interpret and we learn of the ways of God. We learn of what the Scripture says. We learn about what um, the way our God moves. And that experience and that understanding is priceless. Now, We've had situations in life where we've walked through them and then we've thought back later and thought, I wish I really knew what was happening at the point that it happened. I wish I really could go back knowing what I know now and deal with that scenario again. We've all faced that. And God, when he says, if you pray in an unknown tongue, keep seeking that you may interpret God wants us to have understanding of the things we're partnering with him in an intercession. And this is something that we know. Also, we've studied recently in the Scripture that the breathing, the breathing of that Spirit of God within us is, is translated as our affections, and it's also translated as the way that we gain understanding. If we're not allowing the Spirit of God within to commune and to be alive, we won't really uh, grasp what all God is saying. We, we won't really grasp um, the things, the deeper things of the Spirit. This is what we've studied together. The friend, the phroneo, the, the understanding has a total connection with how we allow our spirit that is born again through the blood of Jesus, to communicate with the Father. And, and if, if we're not allowing that to happen, if we're not actively participating in that, we won't really be moving in the passion of the Spirit in the way God wants. And we really won't gain the understanding, the deeper measures of understanding that God wants. That is what we've looked at, not in one scripture that we've bent out of shape. It's throughout the entirety of the word. So when we talk about the spirit within us, these things and more are factors. We've also said that when a person dies, that spirit is 
goes back to God. Over and over again, we've seen throughout the Word that the Bible specifically says that. Not the least of which, and perhaps the most important of those types of exchanges, happen at the cross because Jesus was sent by the Father. He agreed to the task of being God's way of redeeming mankind back to the will of the Father. And um, at the cross, when it was all finished, and we're going to read each of these, Jesus did something in every one of these accounts a bit differently in regard to his spirit. Now, why is this important? Well, first of all, as we look at it, it's important for us to know what Jesus did. I mean, we've said over the years, and rightfully so, that Jesus surrendered his spirit back to God. He gave up the ghost. True, exactly. But what was it that each one of the gospel's writers under the anointing of the spirit indicated was going on when Jesus did that? What type of expression did Jesus uh, indicate regarding that transaction? And so it's important for us to know what Jesus did, and it's important for us to then recognize that in our own spirit that God gave to us, that's born again only through the blood of Jesus, that those same things should be happening in us. It's a discipline of the Spirit that we need to recognize in our Lord. If we're going to be Christ-like, that's what Christian means, then we should also say, I have a responsibility in the Spirit that God has given to me that Jesus has allowed to be born again through His blood. I have a responsibility to cherish this same measure of, uh, of activity and devotion in my spirit. Um, so, uh, you know, recently, I think on Good Friday, we talked about the three types of expression that Jesus made regarding bitterness while he was on the cross. That was a new understanding for us. And, and perhaps sometime we'll accumulate all these and, and write them. I've been a little bit negligent in that over the past year or two. But here, this, this, what we're going to look at today is, is just a wonderful gift from the Father. So the first one we want to see is John 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. Teleo. This means to accomplish the attended assignment. And in fact, the verse before, or two verses before, it says, when he knew that all things were accomplished, he used the same word. And we should understand what teleo means because tele is something that we use in our vernacular to talk about communication. Telegraph, telephone, telewoman. Dennis knew that joke. <laughs> that was an old one. But you know, telefax, um, it, it really does speak about something that is being sent forth and that you receive that message and you fulfill that message or you do something with that message. So when it says that it was, he said, it is finished, it is accomplished, he was saying that everything that I have been sent uh, apostolically, because the Bible says 
if you look at it, that Jesus was an apostle from the Father. Everything that the Father sent him to do was point by point achieved. And when he recognized that that work was done, he then said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, this is very interesting because John was the closest one in proximity to the cross. He was close enough that when Jesus said to, to him uh, about Mary, you know, you, you take care of her now. You know, you, you watch over her. And that transaction actually happened. But John is communicating this, and it says, uh, he uses a strange term to describe giving up the ghost, paradidomai. Now, if you'll study, and, and I encourage you to do this just for your own benefit, and study the Scripture. First of all, I, I hope you don't, in this crowd, you're not studying it to try to, to say, oh, he's messing it up. But study it for yourself so that you can see what the Spirit has done through this word in the New Testament. But this word means to betray. It means to submit someone to apprehension of an accuser or an authority figure. You look at it. This was the word that was used when Judas betrayed the Lord. This is the word that was used when uh, people were arrested by the, 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 the police of the, the Sanhedrin. This is the word that was used. So what a strange thing for John, the lover of the Lord, the son of thunder, the one who had his head at, on Jesus' breast at the, at the Last Supper, for him to say that when Jesus gave up the ghost, he used this word to describe what happened. Now, why would that be? Because you know that the, the, the reason Jesus had to come to earth was because mankind had committed uh, the, greatest, the greatest sin of all in, in giving this world and Adam gave himself to the enemy. That's just the truth. And that was based upon the enemy's rebellion, where God the Father himself was betrayed by Lucifer and by the many fallen ones that went away uh, serving uh, iniquity instead of continuing to serve the Father. So this, this word didn't just refer to what Judas did. It didn't just refer to the way Jesus had been rejected by the, the elders of the Jewish faith or became uh, uh, a, a person who was scourged by the Roman Empire. This, according to John, was something that Jesus, who was innocent, who was sinless, was surrendering himself to the process that God had ordained. When he gave up the ghost, when he gave up his spirit, he surrendered his activities on earth to the desire, to the intended desire of the religious figures as well as to the enemy who was all over the place. I mean, the, the one when, G, when Judas betrayed, same word, the Lord at the Last Supper, when he had his fist and his hand in, in the bowl of sop. The Bible says that the enemy entered in. So that betrayal 
was, was something that was part and parcel to this entire sacrifice of Jesus. And so John, under the anointing of the Spirit, um, I don't know, I don't know whether John heard Jesus saying some other things. I don't know that. I, I don't know that. I would think that if he heard words there at the cross, that he would have written them. But the fact that he used this term, this is a strange term. I mean, you can look it up for yourself. Why would Jesus, when he surrendered that deposit of God within him, why when he gave that back to God, would it be characterized as an expression of the betrayal, as an expression of surrendering to authorities? I think that is part and parcel to what made the cross so special. Because he was a sinless sacrifice, because he was guiltless, because he did not merit any of this punishment, that he had done nothing wrong. In fact, he had done everything right. And yet, he, he purposely surrendered himself to those who betrayed the Father. He purposely surrendered himself to those who had betrayed him. He purposely surrendered himself to mankind that was rejecting their Savior. I, when, when he gave up the ghost, recognizing that all of, his, all of his service had been perfectly offered, John characterized it in this way. And I think that is an important thing for us to see. I mean, it really is. It's right there in the good old Bible that we carry and we preach from. And, and I think it's interesting. So let's look at what Mark says about this. And here he says something that is, it doesn't contradict what John said, but it adds another dimension to what happened when Jesus surrendered his spirit back to God. Now, one of the things that you'll find when you do any um, higher study of Scripture uh, or, or about the Bible itself is that most theologians believe that Mark was the first one who wrote. And there are some who would even say that Mark, um, Mark was the one that some of the other disciples who wrote the gospel message, um, they plagiarized in some ways. Uh, I don't really believe that. <laughs> I, I don't think Peter plagiarized anybody else's words. I know John wouldn't do it. Luke was somebody that was investigating on his own, so he didn't come to do um, a, a deeper study of things and said, well, you know what, I'm going to borrow somebody else's homework. But the point is that most theologians believe that Mark was the first who really wrote an expression of the things that happened. That I can believe. I don't believe that it, um, there was any plagiarism going on. That Be that as it may. Let's read what Mark says here in Mark 15, verses 37 through 39. First, it's, uh, we'll just read this first. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. The veil of the temple was rent in two from top to the bottom, and when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, 
he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Now, first, both times that gave up the ghost is expressed was a common term that meant somebody breathed their last. Now, that's just in the koine of the day. Ecnueo meant that they breathed their last. So that is just there. But the, the strange thing is that Jesus cried with a loud voice, and here he used aphieme. Now, aphieme, if you will look throughout the New Testament to the places that the Spirit used this, was always used to describe the forgiving of the debt or setting someone free or sending away someone in freedom so that they can make a choice then as to what they wanted to do with their newfound freedom. I think that's very interesting. Very, very interesting. And I don't know how this was expressed. I don't know because, because Mark said that Jesus cried with a loud voice, but his crying was this type of an expression. This was not, this here was not the kratzo. This here was not any other word that meant a, a shouting. This specifically was this type of expression. Now, I would assume that there were some words that Jesus said to this effect. I would assume that with Mark using this term, there had to be some indication that, that Mark was describing. You know, there had to be some kind of an expression. I don't know what that was. But Mark summarized that, the power of that, by saying when he lifted up his voice at the same time when he was going to submit his spirit back to God, he expressed freedom. He expressed a forgiveness. He expressed then the, the capability for everyone who, if Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men and women unto him. For, for that type of drawing, then people have to make a choice. I don't know what he said that indicated uh, that, that then caused Mark to use this very specific, very clear word, but that's what Mark said. So, so far, you see that, first of all, John, when Jesus gave up his spirit, he spoke about a betrayal. He spoke about a submitting oneself to apprehension of an accuser or some other authority figure. And here you have Mark at that same time saying, this is an expression of forgiveness, a forgiving of a debt to setting someone free, but for the purpose of people being able to then make their decision as to what they'll do with that freedom. I think that's very interesting. Just before we go to the other two, the other two Gospels, I think that's very interesting because these were obviously things that were expressed. This was not an editorializing by John or by Mark. You know, sometimes we see something and we're, really, we're all really good at editorializing, aren't we? We see something and immediately we pick, well, I think that's why they're doing this. They're doing it for this and this and this. This was a, a very distinct expression 
by, dis, by those that God allowed to write the four synoptic gospels of what Jesus did when he released his spirit to the Father. And I think that's just very, very interesting. Let's look at what Matthew says. Matthew 27, verse 50. When Jesus had cried, this is Kradzo, again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And there again, Matthew, a very specific, um, fastidious writer, he uses this same term, aphieme. Uh, so Matthew is basically saying a similar thing to what Mark said. Um, again, I don't believe this was editorializing. I, I believe that there was some way that as Jesus yielded up the ghost, here, here it's, it's not as he yielded up the ghost, he, he said this with a loud voice. Here Matthew says that in the yielding of his spirit to God, this is what was communicated. I, I just think that's a fascinating thing. Now, let's read also then what Matthew says about what happened during this very moment when the, his spirit was submitted back to God. The veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. We know that represents the fact that we can then have access into the deep places of our Heavenly Father. And also for us, not just a depth, even though that's wonderful, but to be at that point where we can hear what the Father is saying to us in mercy, in the presence of the ruling angels of heaven, that we can then embrace a partnership with him in going forward. When that veil was rent from top to bottom, and again, if you've forgotten about the various things that have been taught on this, that was no small task. This was not like some sheer window dressing. This was a thick, expensive type of a creation. It was massive. And for this to happen was a, a, a just a great, great miracle and, and totally shocked, I'm sure, anyone who, who witnessed it. But when Jesus gave up the ghost in this regard, the veil was rent from top to bottom. The earth quaked. There was not only a shaking, but there was a, a total convulsing of every part of the earth. I don't think that it was just in the fault lines. I think that it was in every place. And here's, here's an interesting factor. And the graves were, the rocks rent, they were torn in two, and the graves were opened. Now, why, how would that be? This wasn't some zombie thing where, you know, you see a hand go poking out, and that's how it opened. Um, you know, a lot of these graves, which was similar to what the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea was when, where Jesus was put, they rolled a rock or put rocks over the, the entry point. With Jesus, they not only sealed a great stone that was rolled, but they sealed around it and then put 
some kind of a, um, a, a, a factory seal, as it were, that was, uh, was there to, to let people know nobody's been tampering with this. But at this point, when the, when the rocks were split in two and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the, the earth quaked, a lot of those tombs, the, the stones that sealed them off, those things either fell away or rolled away. And a lot of these tombs were just opened. Um, now, it was going into the Sabbath, so nobody was going to be able to go and repair their, their old Uncle, <laughs> Uncle Auguste's tomb, you know? I mean, it, they weren't going to be able to do anything about it for that next day. And um, I'm sure they were aware of it. I mean, this wasn't quite the ox in the ditch. This was uh, the, the tomb being opened. But nobody was going to do anything about it. Now, it doesn't say, and, and look what it says. The graves were open, and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose, and they came up out of the graves after his resurrection. So you got to note that. They just didn't come springing free, you know, as soon as, as soon as the veil was rent and the earthquake. Oh, look, there's Uncle Leroy. You were dead. I was at your funeral. It was a nice home going, too. Good food. I mean, none of that happened until after Jesus rose. So those tombs were open, and then after Jesus rose, then these saints started coming out. They were saints that came out. That's interesting. Very clear depiction there. And, and it said that they slept. Now, this is an interesting word because it's quimeo, and it's from Kami. Why is that significant? Well, remember when Paul was writing about communion, and he said, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And sleep here is that word. It's where we, in our medical understanding, get the word coma from. And it, it really speaks of somebody that is still has something yet to do on this earth, but they, uh, you know, they're not, they're not really, they're not moving. They're kind of on life support. And you're kind of watching, okay, they're going to come back to life, and when are we going to pull the plug? That's going on in this city right now. And, and the wonderful thing about it is that this word comes from Kami, and what we've studied about that, if you'll remember, is that that speaks about something that you have been assigned to do. You take that responsibility in the place that you're responsible to do it, and you fulfill that. Paul said, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Set is Kami, and it aligns with the Old Testament word sum. Remember, we've studied this many, many years ago. Sum came I. I remember having a couple sessions on it. It's written in a number of places. But so I don't know what all this means. These are very specific words. But I imagine, I imagine that you've got saints. It's not just any run-of-the-mill people. These are saints. Hagios. And they are in a and he says, kind of a, they're dead, but God is not finished with them on earth. They may have freshly died. I don't know. I wasn't there. 
But the description of it is that when the resurrection happened, their tomb had already been blown open. That's what the Scripture says. But when the resurrection of Christ came, these saints, they come back into the city, and they're talking to people. And people know they're dead. Now, what would a saint, let's say, this is not going to happen. We're just playing here, kids. But let's say that a couple of saints that we know, uh, and they're really strong in the Lord, they're walking, they're faithful, and they, they die. And then for some reason, God raises them from the dead. A couple days later, four days later, five days later, I don't know. What do you think those saints would say? I think that they would probably, first of all, come and say, hey, you know what? The pathway that God led us to is true. You be faithful to what's going on. I mean, these people probably were witnesses of what Jesus did during the time from the cross to when he rose physically. I think it would be very interesting to hear what they said. I've always wondered, I would really like to have um, have had a conversation with Lazarus. Hey, what were you doing those four days? Tell us what, what, what you did when you went down into paradise. Tell us, tell, us what, tell us what you saw. We don't really have much of a record of that. In fact, we don't have any record of that, do we? And, of course, God's the one that chose not to allow us to have that record. But these saints come back, and they're going to fulfill. This is a very unique word. Just like some in the church, many sleep. They're not fulfilling what God wants in their kami. And God wants them to be stirred to do it. These people come back, and they're testifying of what their mission had been and what they've experienced. I just think that's so interesting. That's just so interesting. And they, they came out of the graves after his resurrection, went into the holy city, appeared unto many. And the centurion and they that were with him who watched Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they fear God greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. So, Three of the writers speak about, two of them speak about the FEMA, that there was some kind of an expression as Jesus was surrendering his spirit back to God that said, freedom has come, liberty is coming, what will you do with it now? Will you choose to embrace this sacrifice, or will you choose to use your liberty in some other way. That's the only thing that FAME is used for in the New Testament. And here, twice, it is expressed that this is what Jesus communicated right at the time that he surrendered his spirit. And then, of course, John, he says, and I know John is very dear to many of you, books have been written about John. You know, people have believed uh, that they, they fall more in line with John's example than any of the others. He says that there is a paradidomi that's going on there when Jesus gave up his spirit. What about Luke? Luke 23, verses 46 through 47. 
And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. He commended his spirit, paratatheme, into where? The hand of God. A couple of years ago, now time is passing quickly, we spent a great deal of time talking about the connection between the tetheme and the thesaurus in heaven. The tetheme being what God sows into us, the seed of our identity, that we then have a responsibility to partner with him in cultivating. The, the, the tithe is, is a sowing forward. God sowed forth ordination into people. God sowed forth the tetheme of the fivefold into the church and so on. This is what, what we have studied from the Scripture, so we know it's true in that way. But here, when Jesus gave up the ghost, and this is Luke, the physician, the one who had come to interview and to give a uh, kind of a, a straight accounting of a synopsis of what many uh, had, could report, interviewed Mary in, in an in-depth way and others. He says that Jesus, at this time, when he gave up the ghost, to the hand of God, that partnering from the, from the inception when it seems like nothing to the fulfillment, he gives back the tetheme. He gives back the fullness of the tetheme to return the assignment, the identity, having accomplished it all. So somehow, these four mighty men, anointed by the Spirit, each of them gave a distinct accounting of what exactly happened when Jesus gave up the Spirit, His Spirit. Yes, we commit ourselves to what God has given us to be and to do, to the seed of identity, the parathetheme. Yes, we are willing to, to ex exercise our freedom through Christ to let uh, in submission his spirit have sway, that the mind that is at enmity with the spirit will not gain control. We choose that freedom that God gave to surrender it back to him. Um, we also recognize that we're at war. The enemy does not want this to happen. Our enemy, it, from the very beginning of God's plan for us to be made in the image of God, and to partner with God as sons, as it were. Satan, from the very beginning, said, I will kill that. And so there is that expression, knowing that when we're fulfilling the Spirit of God's plan within us, that there, there could be betrayal, there will certainly be opposition, there will certainly be those who accuse there will certainly be times where we are unjustly put in situations where uh, through no fault of our own for simply serving God, we will be brought to account sometimes in ways that are just despicable. But these are aspects of what our Lord demonstrated at the end of that time at the cross.
when he gave his spirit back to God, when he yielded that up to the Father, his identity, that seed of faith, what he was called to do, these factors were expressed in some way. And again, I readily admit, I don't know how John could have seen that and used that word. I don't know how that happened. I believe it happened. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how Matthew and Mark heard and saw what they, what they report. But they're very clear in the use of that obscure and rather distinct term. I don't know how Luke or how many people said that they heard Jesus speak about his tetheme being submitted back to the hand of God. Every one of these had to do with the sub surrender of the Lord's Spirit back to the Father. And, and I just think that's wonderful. We're here to celebrate communion today. And every one of us have a born-again spirit if we've accepted Jesus. Every one of us, as we pray in diversities of tongues, in unknown tongues, our spirit is praying, and we're gaining partnership with God. We're gaining interaction with God as an intercessor, and we're gaining understanding from God through that. But that's happening through our spirit. Every one of us, every day, have to subdue our mind and, and subdue our emotions and insist upon the Spirit of God within us to have its way, to be preeminent, to be led by the Spirit. As many of you who are led by the Spirit, you are the sons of God. We have to make that choice. But we have to recognize that if Jesus dealt with these scenarios, we also must be willing to deal with these scenarios. <laughs> he was in all points tempted like as we are. We are to be Christ-like and so we should know that in this day when our spirit, when your spirit is very active, when you of all times that God could have caused you to be born, he put his spirit within you to serve him in a very distinct way at this crucial time in the history of mankind. Every one of these things that Jesus dealt with there, when he signaled victory on the cross, we have victory over. We have victory over how we're going to use our freedom in spirit. We have victory over how we are going to face oppositions, betrayals, um, being falsely accused, being done wrong as it were, by authority figures. There's a lot of that going on in the world today, isn't there? And we also have to recognize that in the midst of that spirit within us is that seed, that tetheme of something that connects us with the plan of God in heaven. Only God could orchestrate all of this. There's no Darwinism in it. There's no, there's no morphing and us just, oh, look what's happening in me. God ordained this. This is very specific. And I just think it's, it's a fascinating thing that the Lord over this Passover season has been speaking to us about these intricacies of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It just adds to a strengthening of the Word of God within us regarding Jesus' sacrifice. It really helped me to see with a greater clarity 
the three times that bitterness was brought to Jesus on the cross and how he overcame and the crown that came through it. That helped me. This helps me. And I pray that it helps you. Because of all things, the thing that separates us from the animals, the thing that separates us from any other created thing is that God put His Spirit in us. And then He sent His Son so that we might come into the fullness of what that Spirit is to represent. Through His blood, through His sacrifice, we then can become born again in Spirit to partner with the greater demonstration of that same Spirit as it guided us into places that God said, this has been hidden. I need you to intercede. I need you to partner with me to bring this to light. One of the things that I know about the ministry of the saints is some of the, many of the things that your intercession, according to the plan of God, has brought to life, other people are benefiting from. Other ministries are benefiting from. That is not pretentiousness. That's not pridefulness. There's nothing in it for us. But I think you need to recognize that. It's like the soldier that breaks through on the coastline and sacrifices his, his brethren and, and so that there could be a foothold established so that others then could move forward into. That's what pioneers do. That's what a remnant does. That's what a parats does. If you're standing in the gap and you then see God and his timing bring a breakthrough, a parats, what's that for? Is it just for you? Or does it mean that there are going to be scores of others that are going to burst through because of that parats that you and the Father partnered with? See, that's something we've got to process in our mind. And it is another aspect of humility for you, for me. And, and I was praying about this last night. And, you know, we've said over these past couple of years that the Father is really revisiting a lot of areas in us, in our expectations, and what we as human beings are prone to think and the way we rationalize and the way we think, even, even in ways that might seem holy. And, um, you know, the problem is in life, you, you know this from counseling people, if somebody's expectations do not manifest in, in a reality, they have issues. We all are guilty of that. If we think that if we do this and this and this and then this doesn't happen, then, oh, we've been done wrong. When it was our expectation that laid the ground rules, there were no promises made to us. We deduced that. And our deductions can be beneficial in a lot of other ways. That's how we do anything, you know. If I'm sitting down here and I'm holding Levi, I'm thinking I've got to go up on the platform. Well, I deduce the first thing I've got to do is hand this baby off unless I'm taking up an offering. And then I've got to come and walk up the steps. I've got to get the microphone. I've got to see that Monica can get up properly and, and thank her for what she's doing. And then I've got to have Nancy pass out these sheets. You deduce those things so that you think, all right, now I can do this. But in the spirit realm, sometimes we process. If I do this and this and this and this is going to happen. And when it doesn't happen the way we deduce, then, 
we recoil at sometimes, and we think, this is not what I sowed into. You know, I thought all these visions, if, if we did these things, these things were going to happen, and where are they? Instead, I see things happening over here. And it's somehow within us, we know, deep in our spirit, that our intercession unlocked that for them, and then we think, why is it happening there? And we're not we're the ones that should be getting the dividend. I don't know if you think those kinds of things or not. Or maybe you prayed about our nation and you believe, your Lord, we're going to see this happen. Righteousness is going to be established. And then you see things going down the, hand, the hill with a handbasket. The Easter Bunny is the one that's directing the government. And you think, why is this happening? I don't know what he's talking about. Well, something happened last Sunday. Just search Easter Bunny and Biden and you'll see it. You know, the thing is, though, that <laughs> I think that God is really wanting us to see that the only thing that matters, tell me if you don't already know this, the only thing that matters is that we fulfill before the Father what he has given us to fulfill. The only thing that matters is that deposit of His Spirit within us that then we submit our life to, that God would direct us according to the sacrifice of Jesus that gave us the liberty to do it. We've got to be willing to say, we're just providing a way for freedom, for the freedom of the Lord, for people to either do what He says or not do it. That's one of the things that happens when we submit ourselves our spirit to God. We also need to say we are fulfilling what God has to themied us to do. What is on that index from the foundation of the world that we're supposed to achieve? Well, if we do that before the Lord, then that toleo, it is accomplished, it is finished, will be done for us, regardless of how it manifests. The only thing that's important is to whether we have served God, whether anybody else sees it or not whether anybody else applauds you or not, whether anybody else says, oh, man, how great, Ava, you are just the top of all, whether anybody says which you are, whether anybody says it or not, it's what God thinks. And we also need to be ready because that spirit, that spirit within us, which the enemy hates, and your partnership as sons with that spirit, the enemy hates there are going to be ways that he's going to try to trip you up, to misrepresent what you're doing, to eliminate you in any way he possibly can. And he uses a lot of influences to try to do that. But thanks be to God, many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered us out of them all. Amen? But you've got to recognize, you don't go looking for it, you don't wear it as a badge of honor, but at least you know if Jesus in his last minutes as a fully man, fully God on this earth, if before he surrendered his spirit to God, he mentions this, we better recognize that we're going to have to contend with similar factors. Does that make sense? I hope I'm not confusing anybody here. I'm just reading what these Gospels say. Now, we can just go back to 
the elemental thing, Jesus gave up the, into thy hands, I commend my spirit, give up the ghost, the things we've taught about that, those are all true. That's, that, and, and really, that's beyond what most churches teach. Again, we're not comparing, we're just assessing. But this takes us into a deeper measure through his word of what's going on in our spirit through the blood of Jesus as we partner with the fullness of God's spirit. You know, this, this whole concept of spirit, I don't even know what, let's see, 1205, we're still in good shape. This whole concept of our spirit, what, what God put in us, um, is, is a magnificent thing because, um, you know, when, when, when people who are active in this way, when the Spirit comes and pours out upon them in a new way, how does that coordinate? It, you know what it really is? It's the Spirit that's within you. The Spirit that's within you. God has given you the opportunity to be fulfilled. And there's always something further that God is wanting to do through you. And, you know, we talked recently about three score and ten, 70 appointed years, term 70 being very important because it indicates the seeing of the eyes and being those that know the understanding of God and God's ways, and they're committed to that. We have this time frame to do this. And, but, but while we're functioning in that way, there are times where the overall Spirit of God comes and moves in power. And it, it, it does a great work. And we're recipients of it. But, but that doesn't always stay because, uh, you know, it's just like when the temple was dedicated and the Spirit of God, the glory of God was so strong that the priests couldn't stand to minister. Everybody was just wiped out. Well, that didn't remain that way. If it did, they wouldn't have ever gotten anything done, would they? How were they going to fulfill the Levitical functions in there if nobody could stand and do anything? So we have to recognize that there are visitations of God and then they, they move, and, and they do, he's always doing a new thing. But what does not change is that deposit within you. And you have a responsibility to guard over that and to know that there are going to be oppositions, know that there are responsibilities. The Lord himself dealt with this. He had the Spirit beyond measure, but yet within his own body, he had this dimension of the Spirit that surrendered back to God. How do, you, how do you conflate those two things? Well, his spirit within, he had to fulfill all the things that you and I face. He had to accomplish a plan from the Father that was revolutionary. He had to not sin. He had to keep his mind and his emotions and every other part of his physical desires as a man under control in submission to the Spirit. 
There were so many things that his spirit did that make the way for us that when you say he had the spirit without measure was really saying that every every measure of appointed things, remember what we studied about measure, um, Jesus accomplished every one of the th- uh, ways that the spirit within would, would ever face, and he did it without fault. And so when he comes with his spirit and he says, it is now finished, I've accomplished these things, and I'm going to surrender my spirit back to the hand of God, he was first of all saying, that responsibility regarding what's going to be in Debbie and in Nancy and in Andrea and all of us, that's been perfected. It's all made ready. The enemy is opposing it. He will betray, he will accuse, he will withstand, but he will not triumph unless you let him. And freedom. I'm giving people the opportunity for that spirit within them to not dwell under the old covenant anymore, but to be open to follow whatever measure they choose to follow. That's interesting, isn't it? So we come to the table of the Lord today. We have this bread and we have this wine. And we, we've studied about this a great deal, what the bread represents, what the juice represents, the bitter sop, if it were here today. Um, and there's no sense regaling all of those things. But as we come together remembering what God has shared, how do we allow our spirit to be impacted today? At the end of this Passover season, you know, I went to an establishment on Friday, and there on the door it said, we're closed today on this day for for the fulfillment of the Passover. And I thought, great, I bless those people. Um, but we're really coming through the end of this Passover season. And I I believe that the Spirit brought us back to the cross for today to see this measure about the Spirit that's within you. How are you doing in each of these things? Are you fulfilling? And I'm ending with this. Are you fulfilling what God put you on this earth to do? And you can only do that bit by bit. Don't try to force it. You're not going to go from third grade to 12th grade just because you want it because all the cool kids are in 12th grade. You just go point by point and be faithful and then God leads you into the next measure of manifestation. Are you fulfilling that, that the hand of God gave you? Are you using your freedom? Are you guarding over that to make sure that your spirit is free to seek God, that it's not encumbered by other things, that it's not restricted, that it's not ruled over or dominated by other things? And are you willing to be innocent and to still face things that don't make sense? These are all factors that Jesus triumphed over with his spirit. And we recognize them and we say, Father, today, let me be faithful in every one of these points of victory. May your spirit rise within me and may I fulfill and may we fulfill as a body what you have ordained for us to be. Heavenly Father, as we come before this communion table. 
we thank you for your wonderful, wonderful word. We thank you for the fact that it continues to breathe understanding to us. And so we come both here and across the miles to your table. And we are willing and ready to receive your bread, which speaks about our place in the body of Christ. It speaks about what our assignments are. And it speaks about the need for our ongoing commune with you, that we would live not by anything on this earth, but by the word of God, that commune with you. And we come to this table and we look at the cup and we thank you, Father, that this blood has cleansed us from all of our sins if we've accepted Jesus as our Savior. And now we as believers, we accept the cup of our assignment and we also accept the sprinkling of the blood that makes the way in the patterns of the heavens, that causes uh, us to be activated within and in the place of our service to partner with the glory of God. We thank you for this. And we pray, Father, that you would stir our spirits. Stir the spirit of this place, the embodiment of your spirit that was poured out upon this house and the stemmies of this house and all of the houses of the saints. But Lord, each of us as individuals, let us surrender our spirit once again to you. Thank you for your goodness, for your patience, for your long-suffering with us. We love you. Thank you for already today stirring up the embers of our prayer life. Thank you for touching us physically. And now, Lord, do a work in our spirit that's beyond anything we've known that will lead us in that service in the days to come that you have ordained for us to partner with you in. We love you, Father. We come before your table now expectantly, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's come and let's receive and let's spend time before the Lord in prayer. Thank you for being here today. God bless you.